Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 207. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, which we cover you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about equity and education. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at my website at williamdparker.com. Last week, I was leading a mastermind with some principals who've been joining me for national conversations on reopening of schools. And I'm so grateful for the 12 to 16 administrators, depending on week to week, who log in with me from across the U.S., all the way from New Jersey, all the way to the Bay Area and California. And we talk about reopening with schools. We talk about the hybrid approaches. We talk about protocols for safety. Last week, we were in a conversation with a principal whose community has had a spike in COVID, and that principal was experiencing the death of people in that community that um, she is close to. And we we talked together. We grieved together. Um, we talked to our principal friend uh, from New York who saw those same kinds of numbers happening in March and was able to provide some feedback to that principal on what it felt like in March to go through what she's going through now in Texas here in in the summer. And so I, I don't know where you are today as you're listening to this podcast, but I guarantee you are in a community that has a unique expression of what it's like to lead during a pandemic. And this week's format is a little bit different because I just have a lot of thoughts I want to share, and I don't even necessarily have them by points. I'm not even sure if I'm going to have a blog post that accompanies this as detailed as I normally do because I just need to think out loud with you, and I hope you can track with me. But there's several things that have been going through my mind as we step into the beginning of school and the reopening. And first of all, I, I just want to celebrate with those of you that have reopened recently. Some of you have done it in person with safety protocols and masks, and you've seen great success as kids have returned. Others of you have reopened, and now you've closed and pivoted at home because you already saw spikes in COVID that created those conditions for you. And then a lot of you I've been talking to have postponed the beginning of school, and you're going to begin virtually. And so you're preparing for what that's going to be like. And then some of you have already been teaching and leading virtually since school began for you. So it's it's just so different across the entire U.S. population. But I've never, I never have I seen the beginning of school so uniquely different than it is this year. Because normally, the beginning of school is a time where we share in common this amazing enthusiasm and optimism and joy in seeing our kids come back. And in this year, um, that just looks different. From school to school, not every school is having the same experience or the same emotions going into the school year. And so where in the past we kind of all shared this common joy, now we're sharing like this mix of emotions as we're stepping into this year. And, you know, that's the same experience that our community members are having too. Some families are experiencing times of greater joy than others. Some families are experiencing times of fear more than others. Some families have higher hurdles to jump than others. Some families have more resources than others. And and that that's really come home to me in this last week. And I, I want to share two pieces of content for you to consider. One is um, content that came to me directly from one of my mastermind members who shared with me some of the demographics from his own school's 
numbers. And then a, a piece that I read today in the um, Hedginger report that was um, written by uh, Bracey Harris in, uh, from data from a Mississippi district. But the friend who reached out to me last week from a principal from South Carolina had been looking at the numbers of students that he had who had signed up to be instructed from home and the numbers of students that he had signed up who were planning to return to school because they're going to try to reopen with masks and protocols. And when he took his numbers and he looked at the percentage of kids at home versus the percentage of kids at school, he had a pretty good idea of, of the 20 to 25 percent of kids that were going to be serving at home. But then when he broke them down demographically, he was shocked because here's what he discovered. Of his diverse populations, his black students in particular, he saw 48% of them that were choosing instruction from home and 52% of them that were planning to come back from school. Those same numbers, that same percentage division was evident in his Hispanic population. But when he looked at his white student population, he saw that 20% of those students had planned to stay home while 80% of those students were planning to return to school. And those numbers were not affected by socioeconomic status. They weren't free reduced kids. They were just, it was predominantly based on their ethnicity and their racial categories. And so when he showed me that data, we just reflected together. I asked him, give me some feedback on what, based on your community experience, why, are you, why do you think you're seeing such a large number of white families that are returning versus the number of your diverse families that are not. And what he shared with me was consistent with what I saw later um, this week in the Hetchinger report, this um, article, Why Black Families Are Choosing to Keep Their Kids Remote When Schools Reopen. Um, and um, I will share, I can share a link of this in my show notes, but um, as the author explains in this article, um, almost 70% of black households in this Mississippi sample with school-aged children said they support or strongly support keeping all instruction online, while only 32% of white parents indicated the same. And so I haven't had time to, to look at n national trends beyond these two pieces, so I don't want to overstate something that I don't have um, access to data to support. Um, but there were some other reports that were referenced in um, in this piece from the Hetchinger report that showed, for instance, a recent poll from the University of Southern California that only 32% uh, of white parents indicated the same in that report, um, and that parents in a Tennessee focus group were showing similar trends. And so uh, these trends, I don't think, are just isolated to a few communities. I, and here's the conversation that has been going through my mind that I had with some principals last week in the national conversation that I just want you to think about. First of all, if you've looked at the numbers on COVID, you know that it's often the families, minority families have been more, have been disproportionately affected by COVID. In other words, there's a higher percentage of black and Hispanic families who have been affected or died of COVID than there have been of white families. And when I talked to my principal friend who shared with me his own specific school data, here were a few things that he said to me to consider that he's when he's talked to his community members, especially members of his black community of why they may not want to return to school. First of all, um, some of them are, are concerned because of transportation. Their only way to school is often by the bus. And 
parents who have the access to cars or their own transportation to deliver their children to school um, have an advantage over parents who don't. And so some children who their only access to school is the bus are afraid to be riding the buses. And I've talked to other principals who are seeing fewer bus riders because of the concerns of infection being passed in those closed settings. Two, a lot of children in these families, these minority families, are living in mixed family income, uh, mixed family settings. They may have grandparents or older guardians with whom they live, and they have concerns that 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 an infection might also infect their grandmothers or grandfathers or their aunts or their uncles. And so they may be living in settings where the mixed generational mixes in their homes are different than their white counterparts. Three, many of these families don't feel like they necessarily have the same access to to quality health care um, that their white, more affluent families might. And so if you don't have access to really good health care and then you consider the possibility of doctor's visits or hospitalizations bankrupting your family or giving you a situation that's impossible to pay for, um, then there's a greater fear of infection. And, and I just wanted to point those things out because one of the arguments that I keep hearing from people who are insisting that we reopen all of our schools immediately face-to-face is that we may, we need kids to be in school, especially our most disenfranchised students to have the ability to be in school. Therefore, we should have them all open. And I'm not arguing whether that's a, true or not true because it's different for every community. But I do want to make this point that if you look at the numbers that I've been studying, and I'll link to these in my show notes, it's also possible that the most disenfranchised students feel like they have the least access to our school right now, to our schools right now, because of those conditions that I just described, because of their concerns for their own family members, because of their concerns for transportation, because of their concerns for lack of quality health care. And so why am I saying these things to you? I'm saying these things to you because as a school leader, right now you have been pivoting and you're just trying to figure out how you can support your teachers to get this thing started and to make sure that you're going and that to make sure that you are delivering content and taking care of your kids. And in the midst of all that, I just want to say, well done, because I've seen principals doing things I've never seen people have to do before, accomplishing insurmountable feats in providing school to their kids. But in the midst of all of that, I think we need to make sure that those kids who haven't returned or those kids who may be the most marginalized or disenfranchised when school is in session, right now that might even be more um, pronounced during this pandemic. And I'm not saying to you anything that you may already not know, but I just, I wanna make sure that that's that's a reminder for something to think about as well. Um, a second thought that I wanted to share with you this week is that I have tried to be a good student um, in the summer of taking some time to understand race in ways that I have not before studied. And I spent several weeks during um, the summer first listening to the audio version and then getting a printed copy of the book Open Wide the Freedom Gates, a memoir by Dorothy Height. And if you're not familiar with Dorothy Height, She's an African-American activist who spent her entire life fighting for civil rights and women's rights. And this was a book that chronicled her life. And her during her adult life, she lived a very long time. She was almost 100 when she passed away. She spent 80 years of her life actively involved in 
civil rights movements in the Northeast, all the way to the South, and then even globally. And some of you listening to me already knew Dorothy Hyde and loved her dearly as a role model or someone that you could look at in history. But I was humbled reading this book because I realized this was a person in our American history who was an associate with Eleanor Roosevelt, who advised presidents, who knew Martin Luther King when he was 14 years old and watched him. She was an adult mentor to many of the civil rights leaders in the 60s. And so this is someone I should have known about, and I did not. And as I've studied her life, it's also helped me to realize that the cycles of activism and protests and concern have been happening for so long in our country. And so many of the things that we're experiencing even now are things that leaders before us have been fighting for a long time before we have. And I'm saying that because I, I want to say that from a posture of humility, that as we are leading our school communities, as we become aware of institutional racism, or we become aware of disenfranchised members of our community, or we become aware of cycles of poverty or things that are existing within our communities, there's an underlying history and story that probably goes far back before our times in our school communities that generationally affect the kids that, that we're serving. And I think that in some ways this pandemic is is even highlighting those divisions even more and those trends even more and those patterns even more and those cycles even more and those institutional patterns even more. And I try really hard in these podcasts not to become political um, and to try to make sure that I am that I'm respecting the nuances that exist among all the different communities that we serve, rural, suburban, and urban. But I do have to say personally that I have been very convicted um, as I've been reading Dorothy Hyde's book um, and really challenged as I've been talking to other principals that I'm beginning to see trends happening within our communities that sometimes as white, quote-unquote, white privileged people, we either don't recognize or we ignore. And so I'm, I'm saying this from a posture of humility, which means that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn this lesson first myself. But if you're listening to this and it could be helpful for you, I just want to ask you, just like I've reminded listeners for years who've listened to my content through my book, Messaging Matters, or my other book, Principle Matters, to be mindful, to be in the moment, to be looking into the faces of your kids, to be using all of your senses to hear and taste and touch and feel the moments that you're in so that you don't miss out on the quality of relationships that you have with people. I also want to ask you to be mindful of the patterns and sometimes the discrepancies that exist in our communities. Because as a leader, as you become more aware of these things, and even as you're leading during this pandemic, I just want to encourage you to pause and look at those numbers in your own school and ask yourself those questions. Who's, who's not here? And if, I, if you were to divide your school demographics out, do you see patterns that are existing where some kids may feel more fearful about returning to school because of the conditions that they live in than others? And if that's the case, then, the, then of course that merits the question, then what are we going to do about it? You know, How are we going to make sure then our conversations with our teams and in our teachers and with ourselves that we're making sure we're taking the right steps to the extra measures to reach out to those kids in those places within our community. So maybe that means phone calls. Maybe that means 
physical driving to homes with masks to knock on doors. Maybe that means more outreach. Maybe that means reaching out to families who know families. Um, so I know that we're going to become even more creative in the months ahead um, as this pandemic is being managed. But but really, that's it for this week. I just wanted to share those thoughts with you because as I think about the equity, the need for the, the social contracts that we write with our communities that we have to be aware as we're stepping into this new school year of where all of our kids end up landing so that and so that at the end of the day, um, the ones who need us the most are not forgotten. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because I know that if you listen to the show regularly, that you already care deeply about every kid in your school community. But as a school leader, I just wanted to give you that friendly reminder to take a look, to make sure that in whatever approach your school has chosen, that you are committed to, to equity for every kid in, in your community because what you do matters. Well, thank you. I want to give a quick shout out to if you're interested in jumping into a mastermind. I have been leading a free mastermind for reopening for school leaders the last several weeks. And as I step into the fall semester, I will be launching a new mastermind in September. And I just want to invite you to to join or consider joining. Um, if you have more questions, you can certainly reach me at will at williamdparker.com or you can check out the mastermind link on my website. But I, um, also, I just welcome um, you to, to figure out ways that you might be able to connect with learning in a, in a deeper way. And if you didn't listen to episode 206 with Anthony Fisher, who was sharing testimonials of, of his own growth in the Mastermind community, then I encourage you to listen to that so you can understand what that looks like in the, in the deep growth that can happen in those kinds of weekly conversations. So thank you again for all that you do. I, I, I'm sorry I don't have like inspiring stories to tell this week or or anything um, clever to end with. Um, But I just wanted to share my heart with you um, and give you some of that data to look at this week. And and I'm looking forward to to hearing from you and thank you for everything that you're doing to successfully start this new school year. I'll talk to you soon.